And welcome once again to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. A, uh, a drizzly... Back back under the cloud. And back under the... Yeah, it's a very <laughs> Portlandy day out there, so that's makes me happy. That's, that's why we live here. That's right. Yeah, it's always good after... I mean, it's nice to have a dose of sun, but we had a big dose of sun. Our last podcast was our April 1st podcast. Yes. Uh, it was a very sunny day. Um, uh just in case, and I know people don't necessarily listen to these in order, but just in case you were a little confused by the last podcast, um, it was all complete horse doo-doo. <laughs> it was a put-on. We put more effort into that horse doo-doo than we have in any other podcast. Yeah, that's the, that's the ironic <laughs> thing. is We actually prepared more for that podcast than any other we have. Uh, there is, to our knowledge, no such thing as Moogle Cistern Beer. Uh, none of the news bits were true, although all the other filler stuff was based on reality, so the best lies... Exactly. are based in, in reality. So and Jeff and I did, in fact, spend our junior year in India. Uh, we went to Fatapurasikri and all that stuff is, is true. But uh, we enjoyed making the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to it. Yes. Go back and listen to it and admire the uh, the richness of our lies, <laughs> which we told alarmingly easily. And it's, yeah, and it's uh, kind of a shame that there is no such thing as Moogle Cistern Beer. As I was talking about, I thought, you know, this would be... I'd like to try this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I thought maybe we maybe it would work. Maybe we've invented it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, so uh, as always, uh, I am joined by Jeff Allworth. Um, he is the author of The Beer Bible from Workman Publishing, um, also Cider Made Simple from uh, Chronicle, and uh, long ago made something called The Beer Tasting Toolkit, which we will be using today. Yeah, it's true. It serves some little purpose, I guess. And when I was in sabbat- on sabbatical in Sao Paulo, I was delighted one day to walk into a bookstore and to see the beer tasting toolkit by Jeff Allworth there. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> well, speaking of Sao Paulo, uh, you are Patrick Emerson, a professor of economics at Oregon State University. I am. Go Beavers. Uh, also a research fellow in Sao Paulo for at the Center for Applied Microeconomic Research, C-Micro, as it's known locally. That's right. And you, you blog at uh, Birvana Blog. You have a Facebook page called Birvana Blog, right? Yes. <laughs> and you're at Birvana on Twitter. And you are the Birvanomics man, blogging at Birvanomics and tweeting at Birvanomics. And I noticed that you actually had a post on Birvanomics this very week. So you are a current blogger. So good, good for you. Yeah, thanks. It wasn't much of a post, although it led to a mailbag entry. We'll we'll get back to that um, when we get to the mailbag at the end of the end of the podcast. But that's right. I did in fact post and and. I posted a few weeks ago too, so you know there you are. That's pretty regular. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just turning out the content. <laughs> Check in every few weeks. All right, so uh, let's turn to, to today's pod. Um, uh, the idea of today's pod is that there are a ton of beer styles in the world, um, and a ton of beers that aren't brewed to style, of course. Uh, and sometimes all of these different beers and different styles can seem overwhelming. So today we're going to talk about how you can uh, deconstruct beers just by tasting them and illustrating how much you can learn about a beer just by using your eyes, your nose, and your tongue. And what we have, speaking of the Beer Tasting Toolkit, are four beers that your lovely wife, Sally, um, went out and procured for us, uh, did not tell us what they were, put them them in the handy-dandy Beer Tasting Toolkit bags, uh, put duct tape over the the caps, um, and so we, the two of us, have no idea what we're going to taste today, and we're going to use these just as an example of how... You can uh, use your uh, senses to discern what uh, is in a beer, um, and we'll try it, uh, our best to um, uh, to deconstruct the beers. Yeah, I think this will be good. It's um, 
uh, it's fun to learn what what uh, what what contributes to the, the experience of drinking a beer and what all those flavors are. They're actually they can be traced back to um, ingredients and processed pretty easily. And so if you uh, use your senses, you can uh, you can learn a lot about a beer. Yeah, even, even if you haven't seen the label, which. Uh, we will not have seen. So it'll be interesting to see if we make fools of ourselves, too. That'll always be fun. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too concerned about trying to figure out exactly what beer it is. I mean, maybe we will, but uh, more I just want to sort of take a, take this sort of blind uh, uh, taste test as a way just to try it and try to figure out what I can about the beer, Yeah, um, what's in what's inside. If we're describing this porter that we really love, and it turns out it's a Pilsner, we're going <laughs> yeah, to be embarrassed, though. Yeah, that, that would be a that's, <laughs> that, that's true. Uh, by the way, you know... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, we took our spring break up to um, Canada, and um, I mentioned this just because uh, we first went to uh, Victoria, BC, and then to Vancouver, BC, and particularly in Victoria, BC, um, there is an amazing craft beer scene going yeah. on. Yeah, that's uh, true. And British Columbia in general um, has a ton of craft breweries now. It seems. Yep. Um, Victoria is kind of a perfect place, I imagine, for a craft. I mean, per capita, the number of breweries there is pretty good not not portland like but it's a tiny little town and there's right. quite a few of them now uh, partly as i was going to say um due probably to the steady stream of tourists they get um it's always good a good business model to have tourists going around it's true brew pubs tend to tend to do to do well um so uh yeah there's really no other point just to say that uh, i was really impressed with the quality and uh, variety of beer that i encountered in in canada well maybe you'll have something for the the Sherpa later on to recommend from your trip. Ah, you figured that one out. <laughs> I mean, I was just priming the well here. Yeah. But uh, but Victoria uh, Victoria is a lovely little city. But Vancouver is just, I think, the most spectacular city on earth, and I love yeah, being I need, there. I need to get back there. I haven't been there for a while. And it actually probably could do with quite a few more uh, craft breweries and brew pubs. Um, quite frankly, especially huh. in the in the downtown area. So you know. Any big investor out there with a couple million bucks <laughs> wants to open up a brew pub in, in Vancouver, um, I'm your man. All right. Uh, I can provide um, uh, inspiration and... Uh, <laughs> a pretty face. Uh, I can try the beer and see if I like it. Uh, yeah. I don't have much to offer, but you should do it anyway. That's right. So, so. We uh, oh, and the other thing is... Um, Last night, uh, we got together with our friends, and we went to the local Anheuser-Busch affiliate. Uh, yes. Oh, recently, Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch uh, Ten Barrel, which is the first time I'd been to Ten Barrel, uh, um, the brew pub they built in, in, in Portland. And uh, I have nothing more to say except that, um, uh, think what you will about Anheuser-Busch, but the beer was pretty darn good. Yeah, it's good. It's a good brewery, and they make some great beer there. And they're local brewers who came over. They were there. The local brewers uh, were there when... when and Hushbush bought it. They're still there, so they're they're Oregonians. They were mostly brewing elsewhere before they got there. Kind mm-hmm. of famous, so yeah. Good. Anyway, so that that's my little segue into nonsense. Uh, so let's turn to the news. Ah, yes, the news. Next on the news. Um, so the, I think probably everybody followed uh, some of the very big stories. Um, we had actually Virginia, sort of the recurring theme in this week's news. Uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, the first the first big news um, is that our own Deschutes Brewery is going to open a, a production facility in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, not on a quick timeline. I, they said that they're not going to get that going until uh, I think they're not going to break ground until 2019 or something like that, way down the road. Uh-huh. So they're they're slowly 
preparing for that, which is not surprising. They're a very deliberative brewery, so I'm I'm not surprised that they're they're going slow. Yeah, I had to take a trip since I've chatted chat about all my other brewing experience. <laughs> I had to take a trip to Bend a couple weeks ago for my son's soccer game and uh, dined at the Deschutes Brewery there. You went to the mothership. I went to the mothership. Had a good time. Yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, lots of these. There's especially West Coast breweries moving uh, east. Well, not moving east, but starting East Coast production facilities. Yeah. Um, and this is, for obvious reasons, the most obvious reason is that beer is heavy. Yeah. And it's hard to transport. <laughs> so trucking trucking crates of beer or barrels of beer or kegs of beer across the country is um, is quite expensive. So uh, um, that's uh, an obvious motivation. There's also, you know, uh, in economics, we have this thing called the proximity concentration hypothesis which i may or may not have mentioned before um it's something that we generally talk about in trade and and uh, it's often a uh hypothesis that has to do with whether you decide to uh produce um at a foreign facility and then import your goods and sell them locally or whether you actually uh start a production facility locally and sell Uh them and the idea is essentially there's a trade-off between the economies of scale that you get at a single facility and beer there's obviously big economies of scale so right. there's a lot to be said for having one giant brewery and then shipping far um, but then the the proximity part is twofold one is that you don't have all those shipping costs which are quite expensive um, and uh, you're also closer to the local market and this is something that might um, and this is why I bring it up because this is something that might um, play into the uh, uh, decision to go um, uh, into these um, markets or, 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 or east uh, in the sense that um, you might uh, be better able to cater, cater to local tastes. You might learn more. So look, so the brewers mm-hmm. that brew in those facilities will probably be brewing some of the standard stuff, but they also might have their finger on the pulse of the, of the regional flavors and tastes and might be able to come up with other products that are specific to that region. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how these are embraced. Uh, these West Coast breweries are embraced on the East Coast. Um, what you know, Sierra Nevada's got one, and um, uh, New Belgium, I think, a few breweries have them. And uh, I, I'm just, I, I know that uh, Virginia was really keen uh, to get Deschutes, and they were competing with North Carolina. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a big eighty-five million dollar facility, and it's going to employ a lot of people. So there's that, but. Um, yeah, I think they, they got a lot of um, local, uh, I don't know, tax breaks or incentives to yeah to build Roanoke. Because so, I saw something across the wire that was from the essentially Roanoke Chamber of Commerce. Right. Excited about this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I imagine after a while, uh, East Coast consumers might get tired of seeing, you know, the... The Sierra, the, the Sierras and the Cascades and the Rockies on their bottles and right. <laughs> get tired of all these mountains. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black Butte Porter. There you are. We're, we're in our, we're in our, our elevation. Uh, yeah, so that's happening. And then something else is happening in Virginia, uh, which is that uh, Anheuser-Busch has acquired yet another craft brewery, this time uh, Devil's Backbone. Yep. Which in what part of Virginia are they? Do you know? Uh, Neither do I. Yeah, no, not really. Uh, yeah, I've never, I've not encountered their beer before, so I can't say anything about that. But it expands the sort of um, archipelago of craft brewers uh, that Anheuser Busch is acquiring. Um, they have a few on the West Coast now, and a couple in the Midwest, and now a couple in the East. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not a lot to say about that. We've talked about ABs. Uh, approach for a while so. speaking of by the way and as a bush famously has these mega breweries but about 
five or six of them around the country, right? Uh, uh, they have 12. Oh, 12 of them. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Uh, so that sort of tells you, you know, when you get to that scale, sort of where that tension, that proximity concentration uh, um, threshold is. So they have 12 giant breweries, um, which which uh, both allows them to scale up, but also allows them to um, not spend too much on transportation. Yeah. Uh, and what's la the last little tidbit here is? Yeah, so this, uh, the, the uh, Brewers Association, which is the guild that represents um, smaller breweries in the United States, craft breweries, uh, came out with their top 50 list, which they compile every year. They release it every April. Um, not a lot of news just in that. You can look at it and, and see who's at the top. But what was fascinating when you look at it is there are every, like in the top 25 breweries, only six of the names that you see listed there don't have a, uh, a footnote appended um, <laughs> describing their relationships with other um, other breweries, other products they sell, all these uh, interrelationships that are happening. So, uh -huh. like, um, they're either owned by AB or, you know, um, maybe they've merged with another brewery or, or whatever it is. Um, and I think it's just demonstrative of the fact that once you get to a certain size, um, this consolidation starts to happen. So we're, we're seeing that. And I, I think it's going to pose a serious challenge for the Brewers Association uh, who has tried to carve out an, a meaningful uh, definition for craft beer. Mm -hmm. um, but if, the, if the, the large majority of the beer being made in the craft beer segment is not being made by breweries you recognize as craft beer, mm -hmm. craft breweries, um, then you're starting to have real divergence. In yeah, and some of these craft brewers breweries have been started by people um you know 10 20 30 years ago and uh they're ready to sort of um cash out a little bit uh this is kind of the aesop thing right which is the owners are ready to take some equity out of this thing they built um and how do they do it without losing the soul of their of their brewery um uh so aesop is one way to try to sort of keep it in-house but yeah uh uh cashing out by you know acquiring venture Get, having venture capitalists or other people take stakes in your brewery is, is probably going to be more and more common, I would imagine. Yeah, and scaling up as these things get to that mega size requires mega money. And um, there are breweries that have a lot of money. So you have a technical problem there? Uh, just, oh, by the way, yeah, we didn't even mention there are our, our, our great <gasps> leap true. forward. It's true. We so, now have two mics. So we now have, yeah, this is, we have two mics and not even just mics, but we have pop filters. <laughs> pop filters. Pop, pop filters. Uh, not that, that was too much of a problem I, from my listenings. But uh, yeah, we um, uh, actually I should shout, give a shout out to the good folks at Blue Microphones because uh, we got two Blue Yeti microphones, which are quite delightful. Uh, it turns out that um, the Apple Macintosh has a great feature where you can take two inputs and turn them into a combined input, which uh, obviates the need for a mixer. Um, but uh, the Blue Yetis um, are indistinguishable by the Mac. And couldn't therefore create one device from two microphones. So uh, I um, contacted the folks at Blue Microphones, and they said, "Send it back in. We'll change the digital signature, the digital serial number, basically, of the microphone, so that the Mac can tell it apart, and we'll send it back to you." And they did, and here we are. And here we are. And look at you. That's like real producing. Like that, you're getting into the technical weeds there. That this is what I do for you. <laughs> and you do all it very by, well. All by myself, alone and in the dark. All this rich audio people are enjoying now. 
uh, is thanks to you. Yeah. So, um, so your question was, I'm having technical difficulty. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm fiddling here, trying to tweak. Um, so this is our first podcast with our new technology. Hopefully it'll work. Hopefully it'll get better over time. Um, and just making sure I, my, my beautiful, the, the timber of my beautiful voice is uh, yes. being, being, yeah, we've got a little bit more accurately. bass in our voice today because we were out screaming at the timbers last night, and yeah. that always is good for roughing up, rough, roughening up the voice. They they deserve some screaming. We, it's a yeah, they deserve deserve to be screamed at yes. last night. <laughs> That's, uh, we shall speak no more of that yeah. travesty. Down three nil after thirty minutes, it was a bad. Uh, but the ten barrel beer was good beforehand, so yeah, it made it not so bad. Uh, okay, so. I think it's time to actually get to our main topic. Yeah, let's taste some beer and, and talk about that. So uh, we t- I've already forgotten. Are we, am I pouring this in two glasses? Uh, uh, no, let's just share a glass. Just one glass? Yeah. All right. Should, yeah. I, should I start with the bag numbered one? Let's start with the bag numbered one. All right. Um, so what we'll be doing here is uh, describing what we notice um, with our senses as we pour it out. Because even uh, when we pour the beer out... Um, as it's being poured out, and then once it's in the glass, just visual inspection will tell us a lot. Yeah, so before you do, why don't we just kind of talk about the basic categories uh, of the, or the basic senses that we're going to be using and what, what are the sort of main things we'll be looking for? Uh, uh, I don't know where you're going with that. So Well, uh, so we're going to... So why don't you say what you're talking <laughs> about there? I'm just looking at your script, my friend. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's the visual aspect of the beer, obviously, the color, uh, the, the carbonation, the clarity, that kind of stuff. Um, there's the aromas of the beer. Um, then we'll be tasting the beer on the tongue. Uh, and... Um, uh, and with the nose at the same time, and there's all the sort of the mouthfeel and the, the flavors and the bitterness and the other uh, types of flavors that we might uh, encounter there as well. So gotcha. that's all I meant was um, talking about using those senses. Well done. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad. You <laughs> all right. So we have um, a different glassware here. We have no idea what kind of beer it is, so we're just going to kind of take a shot in the dark, I guess. Yeah, so this is the, yeah, that was one conundrum. If you don't know what kind of beer, then what kind of glasses. Um, this is only a conundrum for someone like you who actually has different glassware in my house. There wouldn't be, a, there wouldn't be an issue. That's true. I, I guess I'll go with this. All right. No, it's a big, it's a bigger bottle. Maybe we'll go for the goblet. Oh, you're trying to judge the beer by the size of the bottle, huh? I don't know. Well, you're right. Okay, so here we go. And, okay, it's, it's. Okay, so beer number one. It's a very pale straw beer that's pouring out now. It's a very clear and very pale. Yeah, so um, when, it, when a beer pours out, you can actually tell a little bit about its viscosity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come out gloppily, uh, and sometimes they come out kind of still. You know, they don't encourage a lot of head. This one encouraged a lot of head, and it, mm-hmm. it was as it was pouring into the glass, there was a... It was all um, stirred up with with bubbles, like almost like champagne. Yep, and formed this really rich, thick head. And there are bubbles that are rising, so it's fairly it's, effervescent. Yeah, it's got a lively bead, as mm-hmm. we say. Um, and it's a straw colored. So just, I mean, it, you know, the way that this pours out, the first thing you think of is it looks something like a, a pale lager. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I, you know, we're just we're only using our eyes right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we definitely it's it's definitely not a, a viscous beer it poured out a little bit more like water um and it has this really white head so we can tell this color is so pale um one one thing you can tell by looking at a beer of course 
color tells you a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tells you about the malts that are in it. It's one of the key ways you know which malts are in it. Right. Um, the palest of all malts is Pilsner malt, and it um, will will create a, a straw color if yeah. that's all that's there. And this is straw and not a whole lot more. I wouldn't be surprised if this is all Pilsner malt that we're looking at. Yeah, uh, it does not have the look of certainly no dark malts and uh, probably no caramel malts. So we smell it, and it smells. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> it smells like a pilsner. Is what it smells like. Um, it's got uh, a bready, a nice bready kind of. There's a little bit of uh, uh, malt breadiness, but also a little yeastiness. So I'm giving uh, it a little swirl here to kind of rouse up a little more flavor. And there's yeah, and it, these came out of the fridge. So one thing that affects uh, our appreciation of beer is is, is uh, temperature, and the the colder it is, the less aroma that beer will produce. So this is if we let this sit, it will warm up. And yeah, so it has a it has a subtle sort of you call it bready sort of bready grainy aroma, uh, maybe a hint of hop, but yeah, I think there's a little bit of uh, European hop, I would say, mm-hmm. aroma. So. Um, Hops have different smells. Um, American hops are tend to be on the the citrusy to piney spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, English hops are more uh, like forest floor marmalade. European hops are uh, herbal and and delicate. Uh, kiwi hops are kind of I don't even know how to describe them. Tropical, tropical, yeah. and maybe sweaty sometimes. It's <laughs> 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 not how other people taste them. Uh, all right, should we taste this thing? Let's taste it. All right. I think we've gotten what we can out of our eyes and our nose. Mm. So when you, uh, the first, uh, when, you, when you take a drink of beer, swirl it around your mouth, um, the, uh, the tongue has, the, the tongue is actually a pretty remarkable um, sensory organ it has obviously uh taste buds but it also has um nerve endings that can detect uh viscosity like the weight of things that's what that's how we can tell the difference between water and milk Mm -hmm. our mouth has um the ability to do that uh and it also has uh the trigeminal nerves which detect chemesthesis i'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it chemesthesis chemesthesis Mm -hmm. um which is the detection of things like um like menthol or toothpaste chili pepper and it's also the thing that allows us to detect uh effervescence so carbonation Uh, if it's really prickly on the tongue yeah um that's that's the this what we're picking up and in this case this is very prickly on the tongue Mm -hmm. it's it's quite uh effervescent Mm -hmm. and um lively in the mouth Mm mm-hmm and it's pretty thin. Um, it does not have a lot of body. So when atten- yep. attenuation is a, a, a term that brewers use to describe the amount of residual sugars that have been eaten up, and right. if there's not very many left, it will uh, be, be thinner. Right. If there's more there, and it will drier. And drier. Um, this is a dry, quite a dry beer. Yep. Uh, it's a, yeah, so it's, it's attenuated out quite a lot because it's relatively thin and dry. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And the flavors that I'm getting out of this, uh, again, I'm getting that that really kind of classic, grainy, um, uh, warm bread quality that I associate with Pilsner malt. Yep. 
I um, agree. Uh-huh. It's also got a little bit of a sharp snap from the hops. It does. Yeah, it's pretty pretty hoppy. So yeah, I was gonna say. So this this uh, striking me as uh, either a, a fairly hoppy or Euro- a, a, a highly hopped European version or a sort of modestly hopped American version. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, when we talk about hoppy, we we you know there's the hops will provide all different kinds of things to uh, the drinker. Um, bitterness is a big part of it. Historically, that's what they were used for to balance the malt sweetness, but also flavor and aroma. And in this case, I'm getting mostly bitterness. It does not taste like a lot of flavor and aroma. Um, it's mostly it's mostly a bitter sensation that you're getting from the hops in yes. this case. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bitter snap, and it and it and it and it. Um, you often talk about aftertaste, and the bitterness of hops is usually. Um, where that shows up, at least in my mouth. Um, so that's what sort of lingers on the tongue is this uh, sort of bitterness on the back part of the tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are all kind of general uh, things that will tell you about a beer. Um, if you have a really good palate, you can begin to uh, detect things like the, um, the type of hops, which I can only detect sometimes if I'm really familiar with the hop and I, and I know what it is. Yeah. Um, these definitely seem European. Um, I'm guessing something like Tettinger, uh because they have uh, they have that herbal quality, but also a little bit of um, uh, uh, citrus zing at the end. They could. They're probably not saws. Uh, probably not Holler Tower, which are softer. These are a little bit have a little bit of an edge on them. Mm. So, so you think saws and Holler Tower are both softer? Well, uh, Saws always has that unmistakable tanginess. That's mm. what I call it. And mm-hmm. I don't, other people haven't called it that. I don't know. Sometimes it's ha- so hard to describe flavors. Yeah. You only have other flavors to use to describe them. Yeah. So you, once you identify a thing, then it becomes easy to recognize it later. Yeah. And that's one of the process, the, the, the benefits of doing a process like this is you, if you can identify which flavors are coming from which part of the, the process or the flavor of the uh, ingredients, then later, you know, you can build your vocabulary and you can identify them as you go along. Yeah, and not surprisingly, perhaps, the people who are amazing at tasting beer are the brewers themselves because right. they're around it every day and they're around ingredients every day and they get highly attuned to it, what every little bit of the beer, how it translates into flavor. Especially so, because they brew these things over and over and over again, so they get to know these beers so well that yeah. subtle variations, they do a different thing and it affects the flavor. They can immediately see what they've done and, and how that affects flavor yeah so so it's pretty if you ever get a chance to hang around and taste beer with a brewer it's pretty fun because they just the they can detect things that are completely indetectable to me yeah um and it helps uh we're we, we brew um and as home brewers that's a that's a really good way to start understanding uh the way ingredients um uh contribute uh, to beer but um you can tell a lot, uh, even if you haven't been involved in the brewing of the beer, you can sort of deconstruct a beer uh, just by tasting it as we are doing here. That's right. So uh, how do you want to do this? Do we want to reveal I know, that's why I was, I was thinking about that too and talked about it. Yeah, I feel like I want to see I think, it. Yeah, I think we should reveal the beer as we're, after we've um, had a chance to analyze it. But All right. If we, did it after, if we did it three beers later, then it's not going to... It's true. Okay, so we are, we are taking away the, the beer tasting toolkit handy dandy paper bag. And uh, we're hoping this is not a porter. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Ah, Freeman Pilsner. Uh, that is uh, really good because they use ten angers. So ah, uh, <laughs> score one for the 
I, th I think they do anyway, they as, as I recall. I'm yeah. pretty sure they so do. So this is Freem Brewery uh, from Hood River, Oregon. Right. I think uh, we mentioned them a couple of times. Uh, uh, we, yes, I think we've tried one of their beers once. Um, uh, I can't remember what we were doing, but um, they are uh, they are a uh, brewery of exceptional quality and this is yeah. a, a very good pilsner it is it's a great beer um yeah. i was also i'm also happy that it is an american pilsner because that's what i was alluding to with the, the the slightly hoppy for style right yeah it is it's definitely uh yeah it's that so that's an interesting subtlety that you've just raised is if you know how brewers what they favor and what they tend to do then you can there's some fingerprints and aggressivity is a classic American fingerprint. Mm -hmm. So um, if a German had made this beer, which is, is roughly in the German Pilsner style, uh -huh. um, they would have used a much softer approach to the, to the hops. Yeah. yeah. So but um, it's, not a, it's not a super you know, bitter or no, 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 aggressive beer, but yeah. it definitely has an American. It's very approachable, beer. but yeah, this is what the punters like around here. So yeah. <laughs> you got to give your, you know, you tend to give your, your beer, almost all the beer, a little bit of a, a, little bit of a snap. All right, you want to try beer number two? All right, so I'll, I will unveil beer number two. You have to pick your glass now. All right. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll pick my glass after I open. I hear, I hear that. Okay, I'll put this right next to the mic here. Ah, okay, that that only revealed that it's carbonated, so I'll, <laughs> I'll just go with the next biggest glass. Oh, it's the same one, actually. There we go. Looks a lot like the first one. I know. I was going to oh. say, except oh, good. No, so it's, it's a similar. Darker. It's a similar color, but it's uh, it's not clear. No, and it's actually it's actually a fairly bit. It's it's darker. So, um, did you when you poured it out? This looks like it might be a little bit thicker. Um, part, partly just because it's cloudy. It's a hazy beer. Um, so uh, clarity is an interesting thing. Um, when you have perfect clarity, it usually means that a beer has been filtered. Mm -hmm. This this is not a filtered beer that we're that you're holding up now. No, it's, no, um, it's quite hazy. You can't see through it. Nope. Uh, it is straw colored, but yes, slightly darker than. Uh, yeah. par partly that's just because of the the fact that the light doesn't get through it as efficiently. That's right. The head is similar. It is, although it's um, uh, a little bit darker and. Uh, I would say just slightly creamier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that can that can tell you a little bit of something about a head uh, or about a beer. Head head is built by um, proteins, but it is strengthened by hops. So if you have a hoppier beer, it's going to um, develop a, a richer head, and mm -hmm. that head will linger longer. Uh -huh. um, so I don't know. This it's a little bit difficult to say right now. It's, the head is sustaining itself nicely. Yeah. All so right. what do you smell there? Okay, so let's let's give it a good sniff. Oh, in terms of malts, we're going to say that um, <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I have a big grin on my face. I think he's smelling hops. That's usually when he smiles like that. It's usually hops. Uh, but you're wrong. Oh, I'm wrong. Go go for it. <coughs> mm, yeah. So it's yeast. Yes. It's a it's a yeast driven beer. So these are when you take when you. When you smell a beer, you can you can learn a lot uh, about which direction it's going to go. The aroma will, will be a giveaway. Whether it's um, there's kind of three main uh, ingredients that mm -hmm. will drive a beer: the, the yeast, the hops, or the yeah. malt. And the first beer we tried was more of a malt a malt nose that you got 
sort of that weedy, bready um, uh, aroma. Yeah. And then this one. This uh, one is. It's got. Yeah, you describe it. It's got phenolic. So it's got a, um, a kind of a little bit of a spicy nose. Uh, a phenolic is a, is a thing that is produced during fermentation. Um, esters, the two main uh, flavor and aroma compounds produced during fermentation, are, are called esters, which are fruity tasting compounds um, and can often actually even give a perception of sweetness when it's not there. Mm-hmm. And then phenolics, which are these spicy uh, kind of notes, and, and they, can, they can present as like black pepper, uh, clove, sometimes smoke. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit of smokiness. This one is more mm-hmm. in the. Um, mm, mm, I don't know. It this smells spicy, but not like any of those. It's some kind of other spice. Yeah, to me, it's it has the. I mean, these kinds of beers. I don't even know exactly how to describe it, except it's it's like, it's like sort of has the sweetness of fruit, but also has a sour, um, uh, hit on my nose. Um, and yeah. so it smells Belgian. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to, yeah, I was trying to avoid the, but, but when I, when I smell, but when I encounter Belgian beers or, or beers that are used, use Belgian yeast strains, I mean, this is sort of the character. That's why I had the big grin when I saw it. Cause that was the characteristic smell to me. And I don't know exactly how to describe it. Cause I'm not someone who does this very much. Um, but to me, yeah, it sort of has that sweet yet sort of sour, um, uh, aroma to me, which I really enjoy. Uh, in a yeast-forward beer, uh, brewers will typically not do a lot with hops because they clash with the yeast, and mm-hmm. I'm not smelling any hops here. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, the yeast character will dominate. Malt is a is the weakest of the three, so in competition with the other two, malt always loses out. Right. And I, I just can't get any malt here. There's a little bit of a it's all yeast. I'm getting all different kinds of yeast stuff. Yeah. There's there is there's a, a an ester called isoamyl acetate, which mm-hmm. smells like banana. Mm-hmm. There's a tiny bit of that yeah, in here. A little bit of that. Sometimes you get that banana really strongly, especially like in German wheat beer. Yeah, this this could actually be a German wheat beer. When we taste it, we're going to find out whether uh, German wheat beers are, are very yeast driven too, and mm-hmm. they also have esters and, and phenolics. So sometimes they can you can be fooled. So should I try it? You should try it. Yeah. All right. It actually, it is cloudy. So, it, a German wheat beer it would look like this. Also, maybe a little more cloudy than this. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so, the difference between the yeast that was used in this Pilsner, uh, Freem Pilsner that we tried the first time, and then whatever yeast that's in this one, um, is just the character of the yeast. There are some yeasts that are very neutral and don't express a lot of these esters and phenolics, right? Yeah, uh, there, so there's two different kinds of yeasts, lager yeasts and, and ale yeast. But one one handy thing to know about yeast is the colder you ferment with the yeast, the less of these things it produces, and the warmer, uh, the more it produces all the way. And so, um, and you lagering can, is colder, and lagering is colder, and you can ferment these things in the 40s. Mm-hmm. And then there are some Belgian yeast strains that will tolerate temperatures into the 90s, so radically different, and right. they produce incredibly florid displays of aroma and uh, um, and flavor compounds. Right. So um, the, the 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 main thing about lager yeast is they become um, uh, habituated. 
like through natural selection to colder temperatures and 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 they can produce they can actually ferment at colder temperatures yeast uh ale yeast would just go dormant at those temperatures right hmm all right i get a taste now yeah that's a a it's a it's a total yeast beer but um i can't really tell what kind of what i'm not sure my my style barometer is not so good on this. No. What do you think? Mm. It tastes kind of saisony to me. It's yeah, it's fairly saisony, but man, that phenolic note is so strong. It does still have a big quality of uh, yeah. And there's more banana, in. and there's more banana on the tongue than there is in the nose. Yeah. So I'm getting I'm getting banana. And these and this is an interesting thing about this. Banana. For- <laughs> these two these flavors uh, are typical in a lot of belgian beers and they're typical in this this bavarian style mm. so they're radically different uh lineages and yet from a sensory perspective they're they have a lot in common there's another flavor and i'm getting a tiny bit of that and i'm very this is one that i'm pretty sensitive to which is just the flavor of alcohol itself uh-huh this this to me tastes like a fairly big beer in terms of alcohol content are you getting it that i'm fine let me see i'm tasting the alcohol in it alcohol is uh one of those things you i think maybe one of those senses that we pick up through a nerve ending that that you don't have (laughs) no no that it's like the trigeminal nerve or one of these other ones Uh it's more perceived than tasted Mm. um unless it's a higher alcohol yeah uh this this does have a little bit of a uh sharp bitter note which almost tastes like fruit rind to me Mm. i have no idea where that's coming from Mm-hmm. Um, we should just say what we can observe about this beer from a central perspective is it's also very highly carbonated. Mm-hmm. A lot of prickling on the tongue. Um, it's it's kind of got a uh, a rounder mouthfeel. It's, it still seems quite dry, but um, there does seem to be some roundness, which suggests something like yeast, uh, <laughs> yeast, wheat. I'm mm-hmm. getting kind of a rounded wheat, wheaty quality. Yeah. Would you describe this as a sour beer? Mm-mm. No, it's super yeasty, but it's not sour. I mean, it's yeah. dry, but it's um, yeah. Uh, it is very dry. Mm-hmm. It's just bone dry at the end. Yeah, you're right. But it's got a, as you say, it's got a fairly substantial mouthfeel. It's yeah. When we when we drink beer, oh, interesting. We talk about uh, the evolution in the mouth, in the mouth, and so there's the first flavors that you get, mm-hmm. and a lot of times those will be. Uh, uh, the 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 things that are most prominent on the tongue mm-hmm. as it evolves um what happens when you swish it around so we we didn't mention ortho and retronasal uh uh scent qualities yes we definitely need to mention that yeah so or- ortho nasal scent is when you smell it, it ortho means front mm-hmm. so when you um hold the glass under your nose you get the ortho nasal right um the the quality that we we say a uh taste it's actually really flavor. It's the melding of aroma and, and, and what we the crude senses that we get through our tongue. Right. And that's retronasal aroma. So that's the stuff that goes up to the nose through all the the retro, the back of the mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, as that warms up, um, you get that fusion of flavors and aromas, and, or taste and aroma. And that gives you that mid-palate quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the thing that you can taste while you're swishing it around. Then you swallow the beer... And you get uh, 
in the finish, you could, that's when you determine you're able to determine how dry the beer is. Yeah. A lot of times the sharp notes kick in there. Right. Um, the and then you get bitterness this, of the hops. Yeah, the bitterness of the hops. So this is an interesting one. This um, this uh, the the first beer we tried that was quite hoppy. Um, hit me, uh, you know, after the, the the aftertaste was on the back of my tongue. The bitter, the bitterness lingered on the back of my tongue. This one also has a, a sharp, sort of bitter, but it's a different um, type of bitterness, and it lingers more on the front of my tongue. Yeah, and the, on the the top middle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Doctor Science, what does uh, that mean? <laughs> we have we have now exceeded my capacity. I don't know. That's that would be it. Would it would be great if we had. Uh, I don't actually know if a scientist would know that. I bet that there are people who are in, involved in uh, in sensory evaluation yeah. that would be able to tell us that. Yeah. Uh, I think. Um, yeah. I don't know. But it. it but it, it. It does. I think maybe potentially speak to your point that that's the the bitterness is coming from something different, not 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 a big dose of hops. Yeah. This beer is just so dominated by its yeast that it's very difficult. Aside from this is where we can, we can learn a few things from the color. Mm-hmm. We can tell that it's not all pills from all. There's something else in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in uh, the yeast is just overwhelms everything else. So I don't, I can't really tell anything about the malt or the hops. All right. Well, let's find out what, what contestant number two is here. Um, okay. Oh, I didn't realize that the bags were pre numbered too. They're pre-numbered. Wow, the beer tasting toolkit thought of everything. Yeah, and we have to give credit for that to uh, the designers at Chronicle Books. I had nothing to do with that. Yeah, that, uh, it's kind of nice to have your name on the, the cover, but you just wrote the little booklet, right? Uh, yeah, I had very little to do with it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a Saison. Okay. Score one for the economist. Good man. See? <laughs> Um, it is Crux, uh, which is a brewery from Bend, Oregon, as we mentioned earlier, uh, where Deschutes is from. And it's Crux Impasse uh, Saison Ale. Saison Ale. So does it, does it say anything in there about... Uh, yeah, let's see what it says. Do we have any details that will help fill in some of the gaps? Okay, so... Uh, well, it says... Um, they use a farmhouse yeast and open fermenter. Ah, that's good. Uh, it coaxes out peppery, herbal, and slightly tart attributes. Doesn't say much about what goes in, though. Just about yeah. what comes out. So, well, we were definitely picking up those peppery and tart attributes. Yes, uh, those are those are definitely there. That tart, I think, is refers to the attenuation that we were picking up. And um, uh, yeah, peppery, definitely peppery. I wonder if they use the Dupont strain, mm. uh, which is known for its phenolic quality yeah and this has a, a kind of minerality too that uh, and a typical saison has wheat or no uh i i would say there's nothing typical about saison yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think a lot of them have wheat and and many don't uh dupont's does not dupont's is just all pills from all yeah so uh, okay. yeah all right well way to go cracks what do you think of this beer uh i like i i like it a lot it's uh, it's intense. It is really an intense beer, and it is interesting. It's nice uh, to do some blind tastings because when you don't have the when you don't have the cue, uh, which says this is a saison to start out with, it means you're really you really have to try to figure out what you're what you're dealing with, and um, or whatever you know whatever style cue it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just immerse yourself in the flavors. Uh, I was looking. I have the bottle here. Oh, here it is. 6.6%. 6. 
Oh yeah, so pretty strong. So yeah, I th- I I did I did detect that. Yeah, <coughs> good man. See All right, so th- so that's been fun. Yeah, that uh, was a good one. Good good choices, Sally. So far, thank you. Uh, so number three. Number three. I'm gonna move these two glasses away. Uh, I still feel like you don't want to knock them over. This one's foaming up. Okay, this one is pouring out darkly. Yes, this is not just Pilsner Malt. Finally, some little color. And red. It's a red? That's good. There's definitely some red in there. Yeah, so uh, when you don't have any color, it's a little bit difficult to talk about the different malts that might be in there. Um, there there are th- really three categories of malts that are, are worth knowing about, and you can often... Uh, even with visual inspection, have some sense of them. One is base malts, which are like Pilsner malts or pale malts, and those are your fermentables. Mm-hmm. There's roasted malts, which give a roastiness, but also um, are very dark colored, so they stain beer. And mm-hmm. sometimes you'll put a roasted malt in a beer that's not actually very dark, just to stain it a little bit. Right. And there's the caramel malts, which are, are these malts that are uh, uh, prepared in such a way that they don't ferment out, so they leave their sugars behind. And if, if you see a really viscous beer, it, it often uh, will have a fair amount of caramel malt. Like sometimes you pour out an IPA and it's a, a caramel malt IPA and it's got a lot of viscosity and you can see that. Yeah. This one did not have a lot of viscosity, but it does have a lot of color. Yes. So it's quite dark. Um, the light has trouble getting through, but the light that does get through is um, uh, comes out quite red, actually. Uh, more red than brown, I would say. Um we poured it into a Rodenbach glass, and it actually kind of looks like a Rodenbach. <laughs> That's true. It's really bright, though. Um, it is quite bright, so you can tell that it's not it's not a cloudy beer. Bright is a technical term that means how uh, how clarion it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. how its level of haziness. The brighter beer will be more. And it's got a pretty creamy clear. creamy head that that rouses pretty quickly in the glass. Yep. And another interesting thing that you can tell about the head, this is uh, uh, an interesting thing, is if you if it's a darker beer and it has a lighter head, it probably doesn't have a lot of roasted malts. And if it's a if it's a, a beer that, that has a darker head, mm. it's like Guinness. When you pour Guinness out, um, it doesn't have a ton of, of, of color. Right. Uh, and... Uh, but some some stouts you pour them out and they're like, they have really dark heads. Right. So that has to do with the amount of, of dark malt that's in there. So... The, pur- pur- the proportion of dark malt. Yeah, so Guinness is a beer that has, uh, even though it's known for its dark uh, appearance, it actually um, has a relatively low proportion of dark malt. So. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Yeah. I asked. I, I was actually there, and they, they don't tell you anything. <laughs> <laughs> they use roasted barley, too, which is a whole other matter. We'll go into Guinness at some point, maybe. Um, yeah, so from visual inspection, it, I think that's about all I, I have. I mean, I, I think this red red is a, a color that you usually get um, when you use a, a, a dark roast uh, to, to, to get some redness there. You could also use, because um, normally if you use a, a medium like a, a Munich malt, you're going to get more in the amber uh-huh. kind of stuff. So this is really dark and red. and Yeah. And there's a little bit red in the head as well. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it smells. By the way, lacing of the head, what, what, do we, what do we learn from how the head sticks to the glass? Yeah, this is another thing about how... Uh, so there, there are things called head malt, head, head grains, uh-huh. 
which help build head uh, head because they have they're high in protein mm-hmm. uh, and oat and wheat are good at building uh, heads and this has a really kind of creamy lasting head uh, but also the oils in in hops help create uh, head so you'll get if you have beers that have um, really rich creamy heads you'll you'll see some lacing on the side of the glass where it sticks to the glass as right. it goes down right. um, and we didn't see that too much in our first two beers no so no. this one looks like it might not really at all but this, that one's doing a little more yeah, yeah. so the aroma is quite interesting in this one uh-huh. it's very nice it's very malty mm. it's got um, I can't get any hops Ooh. in it Wow, it's very yeah, very roasty on the nose. Yeah, I can't get any any hops or any uh, yeast character. It's all just malt, and it, the malts are complex. Mm-hmm. There, there is roast. The first little hit you get is roasty, but then there's a little nutty. Yeah, nutty, and uh, it's, there's some uh, some sweetness. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bit of toffee in there. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that that would suggest to me all those different aromas probably come from a complex malt bill. Mm-hmm. So, um, so more than one yeah. type of malt, uh, a number of different malts mixed together. Yeah, it's really it's a, got an amazing nose. I give I give this beer big props for <laughs> already. A, it's a winner already. All right, now we're tasting. Mm. <laughs> So this beer has uh, more viscosity than the other two that we had. Mm-hmm. When it poured out, you could see it a little bit, and in the uh, in the mouth, it definitely has a rounded flavor, uh, which is not surprising since it has this malty aroma. You'd kind of expect it to have a little bit more body. Malt, mm-hmm. Malts get body. So, um, hey, uh, quick quick question yeah. about tasting beer. So, uh, I like to swirl my beer a little bit because I really like to arouse aroma. So, uh, when tasting a beer, I I kind of do the wine. I like to do the wine thing, which is take a big sniff and drink at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, is that what you do in your official tasting capacities? Yeah, people kind of do this a little bit differently. Uh, a lot of people will say to put their hand over the glass and let the aromas build and then smell. Mm. That always makes it smell like hand to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, hand sanitizer, depending on. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I am not a fan of that system. I, I always I do what you do. I rouse and stick my nose way down in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you when you drink any beer, whether you're just drinking it for pleasure or not, I think it's good to let it uh, to take a nice sniff of it before you drink it. Um, that's one of the pleasures. All of these things, the way that the the beer is brewed uh, for color, the way it's brewed to produce these aromas, and the way, of course, the flavor comes across, all of that is just for pleasure, right? Yeah. They're just trying to make a, a pleasant glass. So you should avail yourself of yeah. the opportunity. Actually, for me, I mean, it's the aroma, I think, that gives me the most pleasure of all, which is probably one of the reasons why I really like hoppy beers. Yeah. Um, and so, for example, I, I really don't like drinking beers out of cans or bottles. I almost always decant if I can, mm-hmm. um, because I just want to get as much of that sensory experience as, as possible. So aroma to me is just, I mean, uh, you know, we judge a lot of things by first impressions, and that's always my first impression of a beer is the aroma. And so um, I tend to tend to start forming my opinion the moment I smell it. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And I, 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 I agree. And when I'm drinking a beer in a in a Pub. I'll often just hold it under my nose and just smell it as I'm going along because it's so pleasant. So now that I'm drinking this, this is a very, 
very malt forward beer and a very complex mm-hmm. malt. I agree about the uh, the malt bill. I imagine there's quite a few different malts mingling in there. And there's a whole bunch of different flavors, I, but almost all from malt for me. Is this a barrel aged beer? Are you getting any uh, bourbon in there? Yeah, could be. <laughs> could be. I was I was about to give my old alcohol thing again, but that might be it. Actually, there yeah. is there is a hint. There's something a little uh, mm-hmm. little butterscotchy, a little yep. uh, bourbony. Yep. Maybe um, it, it melds very nicely. Those are if if it is in there, it was a, a the base beer is a good match for it because. Um, uh, uh, they they have a real harmony. Um, the the kind of uh, there's so this beer that we're drinking is has a lot of roast malt. It's not a it's not a porter uh, or a stout kind of beer. No, but not it, at all. But it does have an appreciable like a big part of the character of this beer is this roast malt, mm-hmm. which you can get in the nose and you can get in the in the uh, palate. But it's kind of a top note. Yeah, and you, by the way, it's not. Um it's not a coffee or chocolate roast. It's not one of those sort of porter stout flavor profiles. It's different uh, yeah. for me, at least. Yeah, it's it's a bit nutty. It's a bit. Uh, the roast is more. Mm. To me, it's almost like and and when I drink beers, uh, I have to review them. I often try to think of how they make me feel and like try to like how the experience is. And for me, the experience of the roast here is like it's like a crust. Mm. You smell it and then. It's the first thing that I taste on the mouth, and then, and then you bite into it, and it kind of fades away. It's at the edges, but um, you get into the richer filling, and yeah. it's um, it's this uh, uh, nutty, toffee, sweet. Yeah, there is a thing. there is a moment right after you, right after you put it in the mouth, where the sweet hits you, mm-hmm. and I think you might have nailed the bourbon barrel because it's that sort of that sort of sweetness that's that's paired with a bit of a snap that you get from that little residual. When you're drinking a beer and you taste it, um, there are so many flavor compounds in there, it's often a little difficult to know what you're tasting. Uh, if you taste something sweet, it might be one of these esters that, mm-hmm. that presents itself as a fruity compound uh, that comes out of the fermentation process. Uh, it might be a malt, which are which are actually made of sugar, so they are sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could even be the hops, which also have... Uh, uh, America, particularly American and New Zealand hops, taste like fruit, so then they can also trick the mind. So, right. pulling these things apart is um, is part of the, the 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 fun of knowing what it what's in a beer and, and how it's made and, and what they what the brewer was using to put all the different flavor components together. Yeah, this is not a heavy beer, but it's but it's a big beer. It's I'm guessing the alcohol content's pretty high. And it's uh, I I love I, this this beer is really impressing me. It's got um, a number of balance points that work really well together. The uh, uh, it's it's really malty, and the big problem with maltiness is it can get too it can be too sweet, it can mm-hmm. be too heavy, too treacly. Yeah, yeah. And this this is pretty it has actually a pretty dry finish, so it's all that sweetness up front, but um, it evolves. It's got the little bit of roast which helps balance, and then when you swallow it, it uh, very sweet beers will often coat the tongue. Mm-hmm. This is another way you can tell that they're made with a lot of residual mm-hmm. sugar. This but doesn't. This doesn't. No. Yeah. No. And by the way, the one thing we just mentioned, since we're talking about this, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's in this beer necessarily, but uh, one way that you can make a beer that's prominent with malt um, and yet not too treacly and not too viscousy is to just have simple sugar in there. Um, give the mm-hmm. give some simple sugars for the yeast to to eat. That kind of um, thins it out a bit. Right. And uh, 
and I really like that. It's uh, I think we've talked about this before that f at least for a while I don't know if it's still true, but for American brewers it seemed like uh, there was a definite um, bias against doing that. It was an adjunct and something you did if you were trying to cut corners. But um, our experience in England and Scotland is that they do it quite frequently for malt forward beers, just just to avoid that uh, overly heavy and treacly beer. Right, you get the flavor of the malt without the the heaviness. Right. And uh, yeah, um, it's, it's often the case that with uh, malt-forward beers, you're going to have a lower amount of uh, effervescence, and that's the case here. It's not a super effervescent beer. Yeah, the head has dissipated now, and now it's just a little ring around the edges here. Um, and the, by the way, since we've drink, we've uh, moved down in the in the beer now, the light's getting through the, the remaining beer, and it's it's quite uh, incredible. It's very clear, very bright. Um, and uh yeah still quite red red amber yeah <laughs> so so we find out what it is let's find out what it is this is a really nice beer whatever it is and it's a Sally did a good job of choosing slightly oddball beers for yeah. us oh, oh so my funny. gosh <laughs> <laughs> the beer we've actually reviewed before here and I did not like it when we reviewed it. That's so amazing. See, yeah, no, without, without your without your perception. So this is the um, uh, Black Boss um, Porter, uh, which is a Polish porter. Which, by the way, was one of our value for money. Yeah, that's right. Uh, picks because you can get you can pick one up. Um, yeah, fairly fairly inexpensively. So this is so interesting, interesting because uh, the reason I I marked this beer down before was because I don't think it, it's a very good example of a, of a it's not one of the better examples of the style yeah and 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 this goes to show when you when you when you're uh, limiting yourself by putting something in a box mm -hmm. of style yeah. then 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 it may not compare well to the style but actually it's a I'm really enjoying the beer so yeah it's funny because I you know what I said it doesn't have that that um, dark malt flavor profile of a porter or stout. Right, and here it is. <laughs> here it is. It's it's a porter. Yeah, um, I almost said it. It reminds me a little bit of a Bach um, because it has a lager like finish, mm -hmm. and I should have said that because I would have. Yeah. I wonder what. We, so presumably it's not bourbon barrel aged. No, um, I'm thinking not. <laughs> so it's interesting where where those um, those flavors come from because it really does have that that taste. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, and when I when I go back, it just is right there. There, we're not really talking about off flavors in this uh, in this podcast, and that's a whole other thing, and, and and maybe worth going into at some point, but but not today. Uh, there's a there's a flavor called diacetyl, which sometimes uh, can be a little bit like butterscotch. Mm -hmm. This does not have diacetyl. No, uh, you know, and it it's it is a very big beer. I think it's nine point something percent. Um, yeah, and so that's part of. What I was tasting was the alcohol, and um, and uh, that taste of alcohol with a little bit of that sweet note that we were talking about uh, suggested bourbon barrel to me, but it's different. So, All right. Well, let's go to the last one, and maybe as we're doing this one, I see that we're running pretty long here. Maybe we should uh, taste and also do uh, maybe do a little mailbag while we're tasting. All right. Uh, let's just get the full audio experience however all 
Okay. All right. So we've poured out yet, yet another color. This one is much. Uh, it's it's in the pale spectrum, but it's got a lot more color. It's like an amber. It's an well, amber. Yeah. 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 And it's uh, it's not as um, cloudy as the uh, the saison, but um, uh, not as bright as the <laughs> as the pilsner. Um, it looks like it's conditioned a bit, but I'd, but it's not filtered. Uh-huh. Uh huh. What else can we say? We can say that. Well, we poured this one into a goblet, but the, <clears throat> it did not form a great head. So goblets are not great for forming head anyway. Actually, they're designed to disperse heads mm -hmm. in really effervescent beers. But it nevertheless didn't have a great head, and it's already really dissipating now quickly, yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so, and it seemed somewhat effervescent, but uh, yeah. It's still it's oh it's, yeah so this this it, glass actually has a nucleation site and you can see that it's got the the bead is coming off of that pretty good yeah so uh, nucleation site is when they score the bottom of the glass and it uh, creates a space for the uh, to release the carbon dioxide uh, mm -hmm. in inside in the solution so yeah all right let's uh, let's move to this so we would say this probably has some second sense uh, base malt and maybe caramel malts uh, yes by the look of it yeah a touch of caramel. I thought Sally might throw us a, an IPA somewhere along the line. I, I thought she would too, and that's what I was assuming this one was. But it doesn't. It's not so fast, my friend. It does not look like one, does it? <laughs> so it's mostly hops, but they're really kind of subdued. Yeah, hop hop aroma, kind of yep. lemongrass, maybe. Hmm. I don't know. Okay. I gotta warm it up a little bit. Yeah, it's hard. Thing about the goblet too is it the it, the hopping. So it's mostly hops that we're smelling, but it's not. Um, but it's not hops in the way that American IPAs are hoppy. It's it's probably a bitter charge, mostly bittering hops. So that it's got kind of a murky aroma. Yeah, uh, but lemongrass is not a bad not a bad descriptor. I would not hazard a guess what kind of hop made that. That's not a. a yeah, that does not speak to me about like, hey, that's definitely Holler Tower uh, Cascade. Yeah, I mean, what we can say overall is that it doesn't have a strong aroma. It's a very subtle aroma. It's not a, an aroma of malt nor yeast. That's pretty apparent. Um, but the aroma that's there is a hop aroma, but it's a very subdued, subdued aroma. So, all right, I'm I'm going in. So it is actually, um, hmm. uh, I get a lot of prickle in the in the taste. So it is does actually seem like there's a fair amount of effervescence in it. Um, yeah, it's got a a lot of uh, minerality. It, it seems like it's a. Uh, it, it seems like it might have been made with hard water. Uh, mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely, and and that and I I perceive that as a as a finish, the taste that's there that lingers after the. And, and, and sort of saltiness that's on the tongue at the yeah. end. And I'm getting that, definitely. Many European breweries um, have very hard water, and it has become a part of the style. Mm -hmm. So in certain in certain beers, um, Belgian beers and English beers in particular, uh, you'll taste salty or uh, kind of like slate flavors. Um, and that's I'm getting more the kind of alkaline slate quality. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's some yeast in it. It's, it seems kind of like a, a bit of yeast. This is kind of an odd beer. It is. It's hard it's, to. It's, it's not very. It's just hard to pin down. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot of flavors. Um, when it comes it's into the, it's definitely got a bitter snap, a pretty a pretty strong bitter snap. So I, I agree. I think that most of the hops that are used were used early edition, so you don't get a lot of the flavor and aroma off them, but you get a fair amount of bitterness. It's pretty alcoholic. Yeah, uh, I think that's true too. I think it's. Um, Yeah, it, um, the 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 from a sensory perspective, what I'm getting is that dry alkaline quality. It's a very attenuated beer. Mm-hmm. It's quite quite a bit of uh, uh, alcohol, and then there, the hops are assertive, but they're almost completely bitter. That's like their main character. They don't yep. have. <laughs> there's there's it's like they could be any hop. There's yeah. no way to tell what what we got going on there. Yeah, it's um, it sort of has to be said. It's a bit of a bland beer. Yeah, except for um, except for the dryness. Yep. My guess is this is um, this this tastes Belgian to me, kind of like a, a a hoppy triple, but I I'm not really sure. Hmm. All right, well, let's what, find what out. What would you guess? Uh, that's not a bad guess. I was trying to think if if uh, if there was anything um, English about it. I don't really think so. At first, I thought, well, maybe it's more of an English IPA that tend to... This has a lot of aftertaste. We should. This yeah. is actually a good beer to, to mention aftertaste. So mm-hmm. aftertaste, um, we talked about the first taste, the mid-palate, and, and the finish. Then there's the aftertaste. And the aftertaste will tell you, uh, can, can tell you a bit, too. It'll definitely tell you if there's a lot of bitter hops in there because they, they come back. Uh, and the answer is yes. They coat, they coat the tongue, and you can continue to taste them after mm-hmm. you taste it. Um, this is why we don't spit beer out because that's a terrible... Thing that only wine people do. It, um, you want you want that whole evolution of flavor. Yeah, and we would not. I mean, I, I, one of the biggest ways that this beer defines itself in my mind is the aftertaste, which is really. It's like the first taste is kind of mild and mild, and then you drink it, and you, you swallow it. It's like, whoo, that was really bitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not that's not a bad uh, not a bad guess. I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if it were some kind of. But let's find out. Let's find out. This is not my favorite beer. This is probably going to be like poor ball, and I'm. <laughs> yeah, I kind of slide it off already. But oh my god! Now this is fascinating. Wow! <laughs> I know what's happened here. Uh, this is an old boss. So this is a this. It is an IPA. And this is a super fascinating. This is um, mm-hmm. a venerable old IPA from Oregon. Uh, one, of my, one of my old favorites. Yeah, Bridgeport uh, India Pale Ale. And I am pretty familiar with this beer. I know a guy who works at the brewery, and I drink this beer fairly regularly. This is a really old bottle. Yeah. So what's happened is all all that upfront stuff, all that, that flavor is gone. It's gone. And yeah. and what's so fascinating, you can tell um, this beer was designed to present those those late flavor aroma, flavor and aroma hops, and not really. There's not a whole lot else going on. So right. there's some bitterness yeah. which balances it, but. But that stuff's gone now. It's not, there's nothing left. Yeah. Which I hope is not a sign that, that they're struggling to sell the beer and it's sitting on shelves too long. Um, but the mineral quality. Yeah, that's interesting. I agree that it's so present. And yet, is that just from the hops? Perhaps so. Because uh, Portland has um, incredibly neutral water. Yeah, it's like distilled water. Yeah. So I mean, unless, unless they've actually added um, salts to the water, then 
and, and breweries do treat their water and this this is an older beer uh, bridgeport used to make english style beer so it's possible to add uh add a, add a bit of stuff back in there i can ask uh our friend ryan hirsch who works at the brewery he's uh-huh. actually a brewer at the brewery so i'll ask him if if they treat the water yeah but no i, I think this is just um which is too bad it's but it's interesting it's an interesting experiment for the pod but it's yeah. too bad because it is actually quite a delightful beer and it's and it's an ipa of the old style of more of an english style ipa so it's it it, it, it it when fresh it has a delightful hop uh profile but not your typical uh modern northwest ipa but a, a more english hops and sort right. of it's more subtly floral than overwhelmingly juicy yeah yeah so there you go um and that goes to show that uh you know when you buy a beer you may not actually be tasting the beer you may be tasting age instead of a beer so you never know all right well that was an interesting experience Uh, i hope i hope it was good for uh folks to um hear how you can kind of identify some of these things and and understand the process i think it the a big takeaway for me is if you can learn to if you can begin to learn to distinguish between the flavors that are provided by malt, yeast, and hops, then the world is your oyster. Those are the big three contributors, and if you can distinguish those in the flavor of your beer, um, you can you you know a whole lot about what you're tasting. Yeah, and the last thing I will say is just um, something that's evident to some, but not all, which is if you're, um, uh, for example, going to a brew pub and interested in trying a, a few beers um, of theirs. Uh, it's usually good to try and um, start with the less uh, hoppy beers and then move your way toward the more hoppy beers because bitterness can really uh, sort of overwhelm, I don't know what you want to say, wear out the right. the, uh, um, the flavor receptor, especially on the tongue. Um, and it's very hard to taste a more subtle beer after you've had like that big IPA. Right. So save the big IPA for last and start with the less bitter beers to begin. Yeah, and one other, I wanted to say one other thing about the uh, uh, uh the way we perceive flavor flavor is partly hardware and it's partly software Mm -hmm. and we can we it flavor becomes synthesized in the brain and there are things like uh the glassware which may present the aroma differently Mm -hmm. um it may warm the beer up or keep it cold longer Mm -hmm. uh the the freshness of your palate like you were just talking about which can be related to other beers or also if you had a really heavy meal if Mm -hmm. you've had a long day your mood can make you uh, perceive things differently. If you have the same beer on two different nights, you're in a good mood and a bad mood. Likely, you'll think that beer tasted a lot better when you're in a good mood. Oh yeah, mood is everything. I think if you think back to the beers that you just were, you know, revelatory or astonishing, uh, it's often has to do a lot with the context in which you had it. So yeah. if you're sitting on, like I remember the first time I had a Boundary Bay beer, I was sitting on a patio looking out over the San Juan Islands and Bellingham, <laughs> Washington, Bellingham Bay, and it was just the most delightful day and I think I had just finished I think I gave a talk at Western Washington so I was really relaxed everything was over my week was over it was a Friday afternoon and I just thought it was the best beer I've, I've ever had and a lot of it has to do with the context it's a very good beer by the way I'm not saying that's not true as well but yeah so the context and the mood in which you have the beer I think makes a lot of difference yeah so don't underestimate that your palate is only so good as your uh, your, your your software will, will you're, you're filtering it through software. Yeah. So happy tasting. Yep. Happy tasting. Let us know uh, what you've discovered and uh, what your uh, what your uh, process is and what you've learned from tasting beer. Uh, and in that vein, why don't we turn to the mailbag? The mailbag. All right. So the first question I think is uh, uh, a pretty easy one for us to answer. It comes from Ryan. He asked, do you and Patrick document the beers you drink? 
Uh, if so, is a notebook, spreadsheet, database, an app, or a different method? Do you try to note 100% of them or just the new to you or favorite beers? Do you analyze or refer back to the info? Hmm, interesting. So um, when I first was sort of uh, doing the beeronomics blog and, and regularly writing about beer, and um, there was a time in which I was sort of trying to, to keep track of what I'd had and I'd have little notes, um, or if we'd go to like a beer festival or, um, and we were trying different beers, I would take notes. Um, I have basically given up on that at all and just um, don't worry about remembering too much about the beer, just try to enjoy it in the moment, I guess. Um, I found that I wasn't very good at taking notes that could uh, bring the whole experience back to me anyway. Um, it, it would remind me, I could, I could, sometimes I would write this stuff. I was like, oh, really? Is that what I thought? Okay. So I'll write it down. Um, so no, I don't, I don't actually, um, document the beers I drink at all anymore. I just drink them, try, yeah. to, re- try to remember. It gets harder and harder with age. to remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually in the same boat. I, I, I only document the ones I'm, I, I know I need to review for something. Um, when I was writing the beer Bible, I had to try to track everything down and, and keep notes. But for the most part, I feel the same way. There, there are certain beers that I'm interested in trying because they ha- they use uh, an interesting technique or they have a hop that I hadn't tried or something like that, and I might remember those um, as a as a touchstone. You know, uh, a beer that's got equinox hop, equinox hops, hop, equinox hops, yeah. for example, uh-huh. um, that might be something I try to note down and remember just so um, I can try to you know remind myself what equinox tastes like later on. But right. yeah, I agree. There are four thousand breweries in America thousands more elsewhere and um i i know my faves and and i remember beers pretty well but no there are people of course who make it quite a a hobby to to go out and taste different beers and and document them and there are ways there's that um uh that little pamphlet that uh some local person put out right you know this the little beer oh yeah dave selden's uh uh 33 beers uh yeah that's it uh book um and that is a yeah that's a good way to note down the, the key elements of beer if you're going to do it and there are a lot of there are a lot of good ways um and and for many people i think it's a big part of the fun so mm-hmm. and i imagine they're good apps but i don't know we yeah. <laughs> we apparently have brains that work differently and, and uh, they work alike but differently than than the people who write stuff down yeah all right well uh let's do your your new zealand correspondent oh yeah so uh this is something that comes from a um uh, one of my rare blog posts. So I had a um, colleagues who were in New Zealand um, for an economics conference uh, were in Auckland and walking down the street and saw a little poster board for, uh, or one of those little sandwich boards um, that, a, that a pub put out with their special of the day. And it said Emerson's Pilsner um, and whatever the food was. And uh, they sent it to me because, of course, my name is Emerson. Um, so I posted that on the blog and, and suggested it must be an excellent Pilsner, since it says Emerson on it. Emerson <laughs> is the mark of quality. Uh, and Matthew Searle uh, commented on the on the blog post, um, and uh, he lives in New Zealand. He says the Pilsner is excellent. It's one of New Zealand's oldest craft brews and packed full of Rewaka hops. Not much like a traditional Pilsner, but a common style here. It works especially well with local hops. Uh, so good to know. Um, okay. I also looked up, by the way, the Emerson 
uh, brewery um, online. Looks like they have a lot of good beers. Um, but he uh, goes on to say, you might be interested in the pricing model of beer here. Having lived in the Pacific Northwest myself, the prices I discovered when I moved home were quite hard to swallow. A pint can be as high as $12, although this is this includes tax and we don't tip. But what's really interesting is that imported U.S. beers that have been shipped halfway across the world almost can be priced reasonably close to, to local brews. The reason is our insanely high excise taxes, which, according to an, all, uh, an old blog post, are roughly 10 times that enjoyed by your American brethren. Top that off with allowing Tide Houses, and you have the recipe for an inordinately high prices for craft beer. It's enough to make you weep into your overpriced pint. <laughs> <laughs> so first, uh, Matthew, thank you very much uh, for your comment. Um, I don't know that you knew that it was going to go on the, on the pod, but here it is. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, uh, the uh, fact that um, uh, they tax their local brewers high, but then don't have high um, import taxes on on imported beer is interesting to me. Yeah, it is. At some point, we we might want to get into tax law because it's super fascinating. Um, ex the way excise taxes affect the beer industry and the way taxes have affected beer basically from the beginning of time has is, is been fascinating. Yeah, and by the way, we were joking about my, my, my infrequent posting on the blog, but the, the post I did prior to that was a post on, on uh, beer taxes that uh, the tax, one of the tax, I think a tax foundation or one of the, um, uh, the sort of think tanks that keep track of taxes um, sends yeah. uh, annually on. I saw that. They sent me that too. It's, on, in, it's interesting how radically different state taxes are. Yeah. They do it on St. Pat Patrick's Day. Uh, um, and then, yeah, you can see how much how how much variation there is from state to state in terms of excise taxes. And then you can make your own correlation yeah. and try to make your own causal statement, if you will, about the growth of craft brewing in, in states with high and low taxes. We should totally do one on that because then we can get into we can we can get into my favorite economic term, Pagovian taxation, <laughs> uh, and we can talk about uh, uh, Puritan puritanical laws and. Uh, all, a whole bunch of us. So that'd be, that'd, and, and the way actually uh, tax law has really affected uh, certain beer styles. Um, so that's also interesting. That yeah, a, yeah. And, and in England, it makes a big difference in yeah. terms of how much because they tax the alcohol alcohol content. So, yeah. uh, so pricing gets really interesting. Well, so it's very interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm all about prices. I'm always interested in prices. So uh, it's interesting to know how much I'm going to have to pay when I go to New Zealand and to buy my local craft beer. No kidding. All right. Well, we should roll out of here. I think we're running along again, as is our way. Yes, it's our way. So uh, before we go, uh, we have uh, our Beer Sherpa recommendations. Yes, our Beer Sherpa recommendations. And you have some international fare for us? Uh, I do. As, we, as I tip my hand earlier, well, you tip my hand earlier. <laughs> Sorry about that. In my, trip to, in my trip to Victoria, BC, and I don't know how widely this is distributed, but it was certainly widely distributed in British Columbia. Um, there is a, a brewery called Hoyne, and um, they make an amazingly good pilsner. Speaking of pilsners, right, uh, and it was uh, spectacular, and I, it was by far my favorite beer that I had in my little trip to Canada. So, uh, my beer sherpa recommendation: should you find yourself in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, uh, British Columbia, uh, search out Hoyne, yeah. Hoyne Pilsner, especially. I actually, I, I should. So, I'll, uh, I had two Hoyne beers. Um, I had a pale ale, which was good. Um, but the Pilsner is the one to go for. <laughs> yeah, that is a great beer. That was the beer that I, a couple of years ago I was in Victoria, and that also impressed me. And, and, and in fact, I noticed that there were a bunch of Pilsners throughout 
Victoria. It was kind of a minor theme that they had, and they were all made with. Um, they were made sort of in the style of a German Pilsner, mm-hmm. um, not really uh, aggressively hopped, but they no. were made with uh, Saz hops. So they were a kind of fusion between the two. And if you ever want to know, if you ever want to familiarize yourself with Saz hops, Victoria is not a bad place to go because all of these uh, Pilsners have are made with Saz hops, and and they have that that tanginess, and uh, they're just unmistakable. Yeah. So. Uh, my my Sherpa, uh, I'm going to have an article in a, the All About Beer in, in the next issue, and uh, I'll, I'm writing a column now called Classic Beer, where I talk about one beer that's that's been an important beer. And I'm going to be talking about uh, uh, Blind Pig from Russian Rigger, River, uh-huh. which is an old-school IPA. So we, we, yeah. uh, we also taste other IPAs that we review alongside that. And um, one of the ones, and, and actually I'm going to give a shout-out to Ken Weaver, who's the guy who does the, uh, he's sort of the, the, the shepherd of the beer. So he picks these out and he sends them to me to taste. And he sent me a, a beer from Modern Times, which is a San Diego brewery, called Blooming Rollers. Mm-hmm. And it is, I would say, a transitional style IPA between the old Blind Pig uh, types and the modern types. So it has a fair wallop uh, of bitterness, <laughs> but it's also got this insane uh, aromatic quality. And it was just really pleasant. It was just, it was fairly soft, um, despite the the hop, the hop pop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it, but the the malts were soft and the beer was pretty soft. So it was um, it was a really uh, pleasant. Uh, the, uh, he sent me the. He sent me a 16-ounce can, and I drank the whole thing, which I don't always drink all of the beers that I get sent to review, but I really enjoyed that one. So Modern Times, Blooming Rollers, good all beer. Right. All right, excellent. Well, that does it for another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Um, as always, a few words about how you can stay in touch. Uh, Jeff, of course, blogs at Beer Vana. Uh, you can find him also at All About Beer uh, Magazine, the blog he runs there. Uh, he tweets at Beer Vana. And uh, you can uh, email him at the underscore beerax at yahoo.com. And this uh, is Patrick here next to me. And you can find him tweeting at, at Beeronomics uh, and blogging at, at Beeronomics. Um, and you should actually, if you're on Twitter, you should, you should follow Patrick because um, he tends to repost more interesting stuff than some beer people just like he does. <laughs> things he mentions here he often takes an economic slant so worth worth uh, following on twitter all right well we should go out with a beer um i'm just going to reach the one that's closest that's uh, looks like it's the crux uh saison all right i'll go for the black boss which i earlier spurned sorry that clink there i smashed this into the, your your high tech <laughs> thing uh which i earlier spurned but now admire all right thanks to blind tasting yeah absolutely okay uh so uh cheers jeff all right cheers patrick So...